but honestly, this is I there is like this message that <laughs> um yeah, exactly. Um we've been talking about the gospel, right? Like several weeks back we talked about not um what type of message did we each receive and how do we preach the gospel? Do we preach a message of invite God in into your life? So then you add stuff to your life, but don't really change or have this full life change. Or do you give your life to Jesus and receive a new life in Christ? And that's the real message, right? We want to give our old life to Jesus and receive a fully new life in him. Um, and then last week we were talking about how willing, how, f- how far will we go for this gospel that we've received? Like all those um, people in Haiti, the examples when we were, do, were looking at Joseph for a while, of what what type of onslaught will we, will we allow to come against us and still say, no, we believe, we trust in our God that he is good and we've received this new life in him. It's unshakable. Um, it's almost, it's like comical. You hear about Marie's day on her birthday and then you're just like, for real? Like, how the heck does all that, so many things in a row, and you're like, wow, the enemy is really trying to get at us in certain ways where we're just like, okay, you know, we're not, we're going to stand. And that's what we have community for, too. We have the, the Holy Spirit in us, but then we have a group of people around us that we stand together and we link arms and we say, we're not going anywhere. We're a family. We're grounded. Um, but something I I still want to keep hammering in on the gospel because it's the gospel is the foundation to everything in our lives. What we understand about the gospel will be the foundation for how we build our Christian walk and how we build anything for the Lord. And a lot of times, I think, I mean, we talked about this before too, some of what the, how the culture has influenced our Christianity. And I think in the U.S., what we see too is like this work, work, work. We're, we're workers here, you know? And so it is really hard to understand grace which is a foundational key point to our salvation. It is by grace we've been saved. And some of the things we'll talk about today, I think, I mean, for my whole Christian walk, I'm like, oh, yeah, I know that here. I know the scriptures. It's not by works. But for some reason, my living out does not quite align with what I know scripture to say the thought patterns I have or some of my striving, my tendency to strive for something in God doesn't line up with the grace of God. And I thought it was amazing. You wore your Grace Amazing shirt. And then all of our songs, yeah, about grace of God. I mean, I chose those because we want to hammer it in. And and I feel very weak preaching this message because I believe my understanding of grace is like, this small you know I know I need to grow in my understanding of grace but I want to start hammering it in and that we would as a community start to ask God to show us more clearly what his grace is about and how we need to apply it in new ways in our lives so we as a community can grow in the grace of God because that's how we need to build and then that's how we're going to need to disciple people um, is with this very strong understanding of the grace of God um, because there's so many implications our whole Christian life how we speak how we counsel how we act how we live out the mission will all be hinged on this one point 
if if I'm seeing somebody who's like your friend, it's like if I if my message of salvation is hinged on works, I'm going to say you're a terrible person for doing what you're doing because it's all based on works. Whereas the grace of God says, despite your terrible works, God loves you. Despite what you do, he's calling you in just like he did for us. So we're just going to start today. We're going to talk about this for several weeks. So if anyone gets understanding in your times with the Lord throughout the week, I want you to come with it because I need more too. And I don't want it, you know, this message to hinge only on what I'm receiving, but whatever you get as well on, on some this message of grace, I, w- I want to hear it from you too. You know, we're a group, but anyway, grace, the definition of grace in a dictionary First is a manifestation of favor, especially by a superior. So that makes sense, right? A manifestation of favor, especially by a superior. So God is obviously our superior, and he has manifested favor towards us. That's grace. Um, it's pardon. That's That was a dictionary definition of grace, to be pardoned, which I thought was great. And then this was another dictionary definition, freely given unmerited favor and love of God freely given unmerited favor and love of God and that's when you look at the um, the Greek word for grace it is the unmerited favor of God that word unmerited means we don't deserve it we can't earn it it's nothing that we can get on our own we while we were in sin he extended his grace for us, so it's unmerited. And the difference between grace and mercy, I heard this years back, and it clicked for me. Grace is receiving what I did not deserve, right? Salvation. Grace is receiving what I did not deserve. Salvation, righteousness, we don't deserve it, and we received it. Mercy is not receiving what I do deserve. Not receiving what I do deserve. What we deserve is hell. And his mercy says, you don't have to receive that. So mercy is when I don't receive what I do deserve. And grace is receiving what I don't deserve. Do you catch the difference? It all of a sudden clicked for me when I heard that years ago. I said, wow, I understand mercy. His mercy, when we cry out mercy, oh God, it's saying, don't give us what we deserve because we know we don't, we deserve something really terrible. Have mercy on us. When we cry out for mercy for our nation, for the abortion rate, we're saying, please don't give the U.S. what we deserve because we deserve justice, punishment. (laughs) You know, that's what we deserve for killing of babies, not to mention a bunch of other things we do terribly in this country. We're saying, have mercy on us, God. Don't look at what we are doing. Have mercy. Let your, let your wrath be held back. And then we say, ha- extend your grace towards us. Please give us what we don't deserve. Salvation, revelation of your son, patience, love, grace. Have grace, your favor on us. In order to understand grace, what I've been realizing more and more is that we need uh, to understand the depth of our sin. And when we look at our sin, 
sometimes it's like I want to forget my sin and just like focus here because it's too hard to look at how awful I am. But when we realize if I can look at how awful I am, then all of a sudden his grace becomes so much more beautiful and attractive. And I'm like, wow, he loves me because look how gross I am. And yet he's still saying, come in. I love you. You're my kid. I'm proud of you. So his forgiveness becomes so much more rich. His grace becomes so much more like, oh, my gosh, I don't deserve it. So we have to look at our sin and kind of sit there for a second and say, ugh, I'm arrogant. I'm prideful. I'm impatient. I'm blah, 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 whatever we are. Sit in it and say, ugh. I'm awful, God. And then you look at him and say, oh, my gosh, beautiful, perfect, loving father. You're calling me out of this junk and giving me a brand new life and saying, you're not that anymore. You're not that anymore. And, you know, when we would say, I've been thinking about this over and over recently. I grew up hearing stuff like, they have a real testimony. And those that have been real, really forgiven, like the scripture, those who have been forgiven much love much, right? We know that scripture. And that's the woman who poured out, the, the woman who was prostituting herself, and she pours out over. And Jesus says, those who have been forgiven much love much. And I grew up hearing like, yeah, that's why, you know, people who were saved out of addiction or prostitution or whatever, they love so well because they sinned so bad and they recognize God's love. And I always thought, like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. So I, you know, I didn't have that terrible of a sin, so I probably just will never be able to love very much. <laughs> but that makes zero sense. What it actually is is all of us have sinned terribly, terribly, and, you know, you look at my life or I looked at my life and thought, wow, I wasn't too bad of a person. And that's a terrible sin, <laughs> you know, to even think that about myself. I grew up thinking like, oh, I never did this and I never did that and I never did this. But my pri my spiritual pride and arrogance was like the blackest of black sin because I thought I was holy. I was self-righteous before God. And he despises that. He looks away from it. And he says, if you want to be righteous on your own, go ahead and try. You'll never make it. You'll never measure up. And I was saying, look what all I did. I'm a great Christian. And he's saying, your sin is worse than anybody else's because you don't realize how awful you really are. You don't realize how sinful, how arrogant, how prideful you really are. And so when he uncovered that and I saw how black I really was on the inside and how much I needed him to be righteous, I could not earn it on my own. Then all of a sudden I think, wow, I've been forgiven so much. And you begin to have, when you understand the depth of your sin and we keep getting revelation of how deep our sin is, the more we're going to have depth of revelation of his grace towards us. And then we respond in grace towards others. Like the, your friend's mom saying those things. We don't say, oh, shame on her. We have grace. We say, uh, I know I've done things like that before. 
I know I've said stupid things before. Grace, Lord, have mercy on her. Have grace towards her. Help her. You know, we start to feel for people in a different way. We're not judgmental. We understand and we pray, right? So in Romans, we're going to focus in Romans. And the, and the whole book of Romans is about this. Like, this is what Paul is writing to the church of Rome. He's trying to explain, because Rome was Gentiles, right? They were primarily a Gentile uh, area. And so there were Jews there, and the Jews were saying, oh, no, you've got to do this, 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 and this to be followers of God. And it was because they had to uphold the law. They, they were God's people before Jesus came, right? So they did have a list of do's and don'ts that they had. And so they got so law-based and said, you've got to do this, and you have to be circumcised, and you can't do this, and blah, 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 blah. And, the, and then Paul shows up and he goes, no, 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 you've got it all wrong, all wrong. So we'll start, in actually, in chapter 3, I want to read a couple of verses first. Romans 3, 21 through 28. And we're just going to read some of these scriptures about grace, the grace of God. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So he's saying the righteousness of God has appeared, not in the law, but apart from the law. And it's, there's no distinction. It's not just for the Jews because everyone has fallen short. But it's not just the Gentiles that have fallen short of the glory of God. The Jews as well. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's no exception for anybody. We've all fallen and we've fallen far. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Verse 27, where then is boasting? It is excluded. But, what, but by what kind of law or works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Now that is so clear, right? <laughs> it is so clear. Who can boast? No one can boast. There's not one of us that can say, I've become righteous on my own. I do good things, and therefore I look like Jesus, and therefore I'm righteous. No. Nothing we have done, not any of us, it doesn't matter what your, look li your life looked like, could boast before God, because we've all fallen short. Verse 28, we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart for the, from the works of the law. 
fully justified, 100% justified and made righteous by faith through grace. By grace through faith. And then chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Now that's a lot of verses, so but I'm going to read them because it's important. What then shall we say that Abraham, our fourth father, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a, a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the godly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Okay, so he's talking about Abraham here, which for the Jews, Abraham was the man, right? He is the father of all. Father Abraham, the man, right? <laughs> But he was, he was the one that they constantly said. Abraham and Moses were their, like, top people for the Jews. Moses, the law, Abraham with faith. But he says, or I mean, Abraham for circumcision. But Paul is saying, Abraham was not credited. Was he circumcised or uncircumcised when God said he was a man of faith? He was uncircumcised. It said, Abraham... That's why Paul is pointing this out in verse 3. The scripture says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. It was not something he did that made him righteous. It was not that he circumcised himself that made him righteous. It was not that he obeyed God that made him righteous. It says he believed God, and because of his faith, he was made righteous. And then it goes on to say, the one who works... They receive a wage, like, you know, Jay goes to work, and he paints, and he gets the money that he worked for, right? He gets wh whatever, hourly, whatever you get paid, but he's going to receive what he worked for. They'll say, oh, you worked this amount of time, and so we're paying you this much. But what Paul is trying to say is, you don't want that. <laughs> don't work to receive your wage, because none of, uh, none of our works would be able to match up. The wages of our sin is death, right? The wages of our works is death. So he's saying the one who works will receive what's good, but the one who does not work but believes, the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. He's trying to hammer this in because just like back then, we're the same today. We have thick heads thinking, mm, I still got to do something to receive. I've got to do something to be made right before God. No, we must believe. The work is believing that what Christ did on the cross was 100% paid it all, made us righteous. In that moment, we received it by faith. And it's been like that since Abraham since the beginning of time, this has been God's plan. Verse 6, just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works, 
Blessed are those who law, whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? For we say, faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. Verse 10, how then was it credited while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And then he received a sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited to them. Now it's like a mouthful, right? You're like circumcised, uncircumcised, righteousness, faith. Like what the heck does that mean? But Paul was making such a clear point here. We know in the New Testament, what does circumcision mean? What is it when it talks about circumcision? It says the circumcision of our hearts, right? That means we're cutting off our flesh. Our flesh, meaning our fleshly attitudes, our fleshly mindsets, our old self, we're putting it off. The circumcision of our hearts, right? That's what the New Testament, the Old Testament was a foreshadow of what was to come. So when we're talking circumcision, we're thinking the change of our works. We're not living in the flesh, we're living by the Spirit. That's the circumcision of our hearts. You get that? Okay, hold on to that. Got it. So that Paul is saying Abraham was justified before circumcision, before he changed his actions, before he did anything, before he circumcised his flesh, he believed and was made righteous. That's that's like, whoa, I don't do anything before I even become like Christ in my actions, in my day to day interactions. I'm already righteous. That's scandalous. How the heck? Why would God do that? But then it says. In verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness of faith. So it goes hand in hand. He believed he was made righteous completely, right standing before God. And then he received circumcision to be a demonstration of that faith and righteousness that he had received. So in the same way, we fully receive the righteousness of God when we believe. The moment we believe the grace of God, we receive it and we become righteous. It doesn't matter how much we've changed. Yikes. Because, you know, in our mindset, in my mindset, I always said, no, that's too dangerous to say that. People need to change. They need to know that they change. But when you receive it fully, the grace of God, what happened to Abraham? He wanted a seal. He wanted to demonstrate that which he already received through circumcision. So the immediate next move is saying, putting on display, I am fully God's. 
And for this reason, I am rejecting, I am cutting off the flesh to say I belong fully to God. I'm in obedience. But this is not what gave him righteousness. He was already righteous. righteous. The result of it was saying, I'm cutting, God has told me to do this. I'm walking in obedience. I'm going to cut the flesh. And in the same way, we, in the gospel, we receive the message. It's preached to us. We receive it by faith and are immediately made righteous. That's why we can baptize right away without someone having to change everything before they're baptized. Because it's not by what they do. It's not, they, they received it, were saved, and then baptized immediately. It wasn't like, okay, now you have to uh, get saved, do a class for two years. We laugh in Haiti because in Haiti, it's like people are brought through the ringer before they can get baptized because uh, they have to show they're a Christian first. Read Romans. You're fully righteous. Before God, you're covered in the blood of Jesus. What he sees is the blood of his son. He doesn't see your unrighteousness. And so then we rejoice with great joy and say, I'm cutting my flesh off because now I'm free to live free. Yeah. And then it relieves us from this works mentality that I have to keep striving to produce something in my life to be acceptable for God. No, I'm acceptable before God, and because of that, I live this super abundant life. It's a, it's, it sounds like a little thing. It's a huge thing. Because then the way that we counsel, the way that we share with people, we know that there's this constant work that happens in our life that makes us more and more like Jesus. But at the moment of belief, we're credited because of our faith. We're righteous before God. He received the sign of circumcision as a result of his faith and that grace was received. So if we're saying we've received the grace of God, then we then display it. There must be a sign in our life after. And we're going to flip to end here today because this is, it's like a lot of like uh, wordiness and there's so many scriptures I had but we're going to be continuing on it for the next few weeks, kind of hammering in. And like I'm saying, please come with what you're receiving from God as well about his grace, what he's showing you in his word. But we're going to end with Titus 2, Titus chapter 2, 11. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared for the deliverance from sin and eternal salvation for all mankind. It has, um, this is the amplified version, it has trained us to reject all ungodliness. His grace, this is one of my favorite scriptures. His grace has trained us to reject all ungodliness. So when we fully actually receive the grace of God, we're trained by it to circumcise our flesh, to reject ungodliness. 
It says in the Amplified, it has trained us to reject and renounce all ungodliness, worldly and passionate desires, and to live upright, spiritually whole lives in this present world. The grace of God. I mean, we have in our culture today this message of grace, like a false message of grace that says it's a license to sin. Oh, it doesn't matter what you do. God loves you. He's forgiven you already. So even if you go on sinning the rest of your life, it doesn't matter. Grace. That's cheap grace. That's a false grace. The grace of God here, it says it trains us to reject ungodliness and worldly passions. We know that we're fully righteous, but what that does in us is it's his spirit inside of us that says, no, I don't want that. I'm a new person. I'm fully righteous. My circumcision is happening right now. Cut in the flesh, cut in the flesh, cut in the flesh. My impatience, my spiritual pride, my whatever, whatever, whatever is your tendency. I'm going to cut it off because I'm righteous, because Jesus showed me the right way, because I'm in right standing with God. It's not that that makes me in right standing. I'm in right standing, and for that reason, I deny ungodliness. And we have to, I want us to think about this, to meditate on these scriptures this week, to pray through it, and then say, God, where have I been acting out of works? Trying to strive for your favor, for your grace. It's an amazing grace because it's so amazing. <laughs> If we could earn it, it wouldn't be that amazing, right? It would be like, oh, this stinks. I've got to do a lot to try to get it. The, fa the reason why it's so amazing and awesome and wonderful is because we cannot earn it. It's unmerited favor. And we need to let that settle in and wash our minds, wash our hearts, and expose every place of striving in us so that we sit and rest in his grace and his righteousness and then from there, just it's easier. We deny ungodliness. We recognize what it is and say, no, I don't want any part of that. Because look at what he's done for me. <sighs> he saved me out of that junk. I don't want any more of that. Freedom to be set free. It was for freedom that he set us free. Freedom from the law. Freedom from striving. We're going to go into that next week. But I... Again, I can't stress this enough. Next week, come. Or, the, well, you know, throughout this week, think about it. Pray about it. Because I need, I know I need deeper revelation of this. I'm reading the scripture. I'm seeing new things. But I want a fuller revelation of the grace of God that I want us all to come together and share what we're understanding more. Maybe God will give you, I, I said, God, give me an analogy today. And he didn't. Maybe he'll give someone else an analogy. Go ahead. Um, so sometimes I can't read the Bible, so I'll listen to it. And um, it I was listening to Luke, and um, I had, like, this big moment where I was like, if Jesus cared about perfection, 
wouldn't it, the Bible would show him like going to all these different countries, seeking out these different men who had these different attributes and abilities, people who would be perfect for his team because after all, he's here to, to be the savior and he needs the best of the best. That's not what happened. He literally showed up on a beach and was like, all right, I got that guy and that guy and that. They, they got a boat. I can work with that. All right, fellas, let's go. And that was it. Like, he took these ordinary men and he made them extraordinary by teaching them who he was and, and who the father was. And it's just, I, I'm a perfectionist. I, oh, my gosh. And what God has really been working and what I finally said, that's why I wanted to do the fast yesterday. I wanted to get rid of this, cut it off. I don't want this perfection anymore. And I, I realized that if Jesus didn't care, like, just as important the men that he chose to follow him, because it's going to be written about. And it, if he cared about perfection, he would have gone after men who were perfect so that he could look good. But he chose Peter, the, the one who doubted him three times, and he chose doubting Thomas, who doubted him even more than Peter, and, and Judas, who betrayed him, and... and all of these people who were not perfect, and I just feel like that's grace in itself. And um, so we're talking about cutting off, like, things. <laughs> God gave me a very hard truth to swallow, but he let me know that my identity can't be taken from me. Um, wait, which one was that? I had answered that, but, yeah, it's my identity is in me. He said he would never allow the enemy to, to get to my identity. That's something not even the enemy can remove. I chose to turn away from my identity so I could feel like what I was trying to hide and suppress and keep. But I think grace was the fact that he revealed that to me and then was like, okay, you're, like, you're good. Let's keep moving forward. So, does anyone else have something to share that you're thinking of? Kind of give opportunity and space. If not, that's fine. <laughs> Dave's looking around. Angels, any angel want to speak up? <laughs> because I'm pretty sure you know more about this than we do. <laughs> but They might understand the story, so I don't know. Father, we just ask today that you would help us to understand this in a deeper way, in a way that would change the way that we live. It would change every aspect of our lives. God, I recognize that I need it. I'm so desperate for this. I want it. We want it, God. I know it's our heart cry to say we want grace. We want to be walking in real grace, the fullness of your grace, that unmerited favor, and to do everything from that place, to do have everything we do come out of that place. So I just pray throughout this week, Lord, that you would make clear to us, that you would speak to us in our, in our quiet times or whenever we have a moment, that you would speak into our ears through your word whenever, wherever. We say, here we are, we're listening. Give us your heart. Give us understanding of what your grace has done for us. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. And 
God, I do just want to pray a, a major blessing over Marie today. God, we thank you for bringing her into this community, and what a wonderful part of the family she is, God. I, I'm so thankful, God, I'm so thankful to you for keeping them here and uh, the way that she's poured out and been a mom to so many and created such an atmosphere of, of like, hospitality and love and joy and I just pray God that this year she would feel your presence poured out over her over and over and over and over again your unmerited favor God uh, that she would find favor wherever she goes that when she's driving around or whenever wherever God she would hear your voice saying I love you you're mine I love you you're mine and Father, we just pray that your abundance would be on her and, and her and Jay together and that this year would be one of favor and outpouring, that she would come into a new place with you, God. I know she longs for it as well, God, so we agree for that for her, of intimacy, of love, and we're so thankful for her, God. Thank you for making Marie the way that she is so awesomely. <laughs> We love you so much, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.